probably like this kind of thing because a lot of us like to just serve behind the, the scenes, but if you serve in any way at Church of the Valley, I'd like you to just stand for a moment. If you've been serving over this past year, would you stand? All right, I'd just like to applaud that. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all those who pitch in uh, week after week to serve, uh, to make Sunday morning happen here at Church in the Valley. We thank you for what you do when we get together like this. Uh, you, you encourage us, you challenge us, you speak to us, and I welcome you here this morning. We honor your presence among us, and I ask that you'd speak to us, Lord, through through your word, as we look at it and as we look at what you said to us, I pray that you'd really speak and give us exactly what we need to hear, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We've been in a message series, as Joel said earlier, uh, called It Takes More Than Me, and we've primarily been looking at how God grows people, how he grows us in specifically four character qualities that flow out of who he is, his nature, uh, integrity, love, humility, and for forgiveness, a forgiving spirit. Um, God wants to build these things in the people who decide to follow him. He, he'd like to build them in everyone since he made us, uh, but particularly as you decide to follow Christ, he's going to be working through his spirit, and through the church family to build these things in, in, into you. And so we've been answering in the, in the backdrop as we've been walking through how God does this, how he grows us and what he's growing us, where he's leading us, what he wants to do in our hearts and lives. We've been answering a couple of key questions. And they're important for anybody to know who's decided to follow Christ. And if you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, it's important for you to know because if you, if you decide to follow someone, it's, it's helpful to know where they're going to lead you. And so the interest in full disclosure, we're going to look at this question today again, and we've been looking at it. And the first question we've been looking at, there are two that sort of have been in the backdrop. The first one is, where is God going to take me? If I decide to give my life to Christ and follow him, and like I said, he, he's going to lead us to become more and more like him. We've looked at four qualities. There's, there's a lot to the character of God, and we've been particularly pulling out four qualities that he's, been, that he's going to lead us toward uh, to be more like him, integrity, love, humility, and forgiveness. He does this so that we can better fulfill his purpose for our lives, so that we can have meaning, so we can enjoy life the way he intended it, it, it to be enjoyed, and so that, that we could fulfill his purpose. Because when some, someone who's made does what they're made to do, well, life gets better. Life is good. It, it really is. One of Jesus' favorite metaphors, his, one of his favorite pictures for his followers was a shepherd leading sheep. Now, there's a major teaching on this in John 10 in, in the Bible. And if you haven't read that, I think you get a lot out of it. It's really, 
great passage on how Jesus relates to his followers as the shepherd. And in our mind, here's a picture of what this means, that we have a shepherd uh, who is uh, leading us. In our minds, it, it usually conjures up a very peaceful image of a shepherd holding a staff, looking out over the pasture. Isn't this a beautiful, this is a beautiful place right here? It looks very comfortable, doesn't it? Um, this, this is what comes to mind, a shepherd sort of moving the sheep from here to here, looking out over the pasture, making sure that they have their needs met, the food, the water that they need, helping them get to where the water is, helping them get to where the food is. And so you, you, you hear about Jesus being the shepherd and then we're the sheep, and it, it makes you think, since we're sheep, feed me. <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, hey, since we're the sheep, the shepherd needs to feed me because I'm hungry. And I've heard, actually, I've heard many, many people say that they, they choose a church because of this metaphor, this image in their mind. They choose a church based on where they can get the best meal. So, makes sense, doesn't it? This is the picture. You can see the shepherd here. He's made sure the sheep are somewhere where they can eat good. And they're eating, they're grazing, they're enjoying the, the calmness. And that makes sense that we choose churches this way. Well, what happens, though, is when the teaching gets stale, then you move on. You go find a better meal somewhere else. When Jesus used this term, the people he was talking to would have a much better understanding than we do as to what he meant by that, by being the shepherd and we're the sheep. Um, they would have a much better understanding, a more accurate understanding. And behind the image, what they knew is sheep were led into zones of comfort to be prepared for zones of discomfort. That's what a shepherd did with sheep. Because shepherds didn't raise sheep for their own benefit, but for their own livelihood. And so this is where it's important to understand that God is going to help us grow so that we can fulfill his purpose in life. And we have to understand that to grow, it's uncomfortable. He, he leads us into discomfort to prepare us for, or he leads us into zones of comfort to prepare us for discomfort, but also in the discomfort, he's growing us. He's changing us. Because he wants us to become more like him so we can fulfill his purpose. And it's better. Life is better when we're more like him. When we have those character qualities that reflect God, it, it goes a lot better. Our relationships, our family life, our friendships, work. All across the board, things go better. And so to understand this, that God's going to lead us into zones of comfort, to get ready for zones of discomfort, it's really important to know that he's the good shepherd. That's the picture you see in John 10. If we don't understand this, though, say, say you set out and you're following Christ, and you don't understand that he's not going to take you on a luxury cruise, 
it's easy to bail out. It's, it's easy to bail. You get, you get confused and disappointed. Why is God letting this happen to me? Why is this going on in my life? Why is it so uncomfortable? And the answer is, God is using the discomfort to grow you. And the, the times of comfort are to prepare us for those times of discomfort. We need to understand that God is using the discomfort to grow us and prepare us to accomplish his purpose. If you, if you think it's all about you and you set out to follow Jesus, then you get very, very frustrated. As life circumstances hit you and come against you, and you may bail on following Jesus. God wants us to cooperate with him as he uses the uncomfortable things in life to grow us. This is the only way to grow. The only way to grow is to stretch outside of your comfort zones. If, if you don't stretch and get out of, try to do something that you're not able to do, you won't grow because you'll just do everything you're able to do. I can handle this. I'm going to stay here. I like this. And you never really develop beyond where you are now. So God knows this. He wants to grow us. He wants to shape us. And since this is the only way to grow, to do things beyond our current ability, God leads us toward that. Now, question that's question number one. Where is God going to lead us? Secondly, how is he going to grow us? We've been looking at this. How is God going to grow our character? And we're going to answer this question again throughout this, this message this morning. The first thing we've been looking at that he does is he, he makes us a part of his family with a purpose. So he puts us in his family, and he gives the family a purpose to, to fulfill. Ephesians 2 says this. this. This is packed with a bunch of different metaphors of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be a part of his church. And uh, I, I just want to look at a couple of them, but here, here they are. So then, after you've come to Christ, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're members of the household of God, brothers and sisters with the same father. And we're in this family, and as the family does what it does, God grows us. As we try to accomplish what he's given us to accomplish, uh, we relate, and we work together, and we grow. We're going to see this in a little bit as well. So we're members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is a spiritual reality. We see Church in the Valley, there's organization to it. We play different roles to, to make the organization work. But there's a spiritual reality that goes on in our lives that's in the backdrop of the organization of the church. And the, the spiritual reality is this. We're being joined together into a holy temple. A, a temple is a place where God lives. That, that's what a temple is, a, a place for God to take up residence. And in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you find out that 
we as individual Christians, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. It's one of the things he does. He gives us his spirit to help change us, to guide us, to help change us. And then we as a church, as a church body, we're a temple in a special way. He lives in us to motivate, to convict, to shape, to shift, to move us around, to help us accomplish what he's wanting to do. So this is the the spiritual reality that's going on. And what God does is he puts us in his family and gives his spirit to help us change, to be more like him and accomplish his purpose. And what happens is as we contribute to his purpose, and as we cooperate, we're going to look at those two big, big ideas. As we contribute to his purpose, and as we cooperate together, we grow. Because serving God's purpose brings meaning and growth to our lives because we were made to contribute, not consume. This is the way we're made. We're made to want to work toward a purpose with a group of people. Notice how growth happens according to Ephesians 4, verse 15, 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, here it is again, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We grow spiritually when we do our part in the church. This this is a big part of growth. If we don't contribute to something bigger than ourselves, to what God is doing through the church, we don't grow. There's a ceiling on our growth. There's only so much growing you can do as an individual person. You hit the ceiling, you don't grow anymore. It's sort of like going to the tool section of a hardware store and window shopping. Okay, I, I, know, I know, guys, you've probably done that. I've done it a couple times. You know, go, but window shopping in a power tool section at a hardware store doesn't accomplish anything. And that's, that's how it is in our lives. Nothing gets done if you're just a window shopper for tools. When, when you buy them and use them, stuff gets done. And God intends, he's made us to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. And there's in us, in all of us, there's this desire to be a help. We want to help. It's in there. And when we do help, we get fulfilled in a way that nothing else fills us up. If we just consume for ourselves, we sort of turn inward and shrivel up and we, we don't grow. Now, there's two ways that God's going to stretch us out of our comfort zone. First, he's going to stretch us to serve. In church, we do our part as a team member, and that turns out, like we just read in Ephesians 4, that's a key to our own growth. We have one opportunity. As we work together, we have opportunity after opportunity to exercise integrity, love, humility, and forgiveness. And as we do... These character qualities develop in us, and we, we really grow as we pitch in together. Second way God wants us to contribute is, is to give. Now, 
I, I read one guy who said, we, we actually, as people, we have a generosity gene in us. We're, we're made to give. We're, we're made to, to give uh, not just time, but money. We're made to give our, our money to help make something bigger than our own family happen, something bigger than to meet needs. And, and so we're, we're wired together like this. And what God's going to do if you decide to follow him, he's going to keep growing your heart out of your current comfort level to keep giving more and more. And what he's going to do is he's going to challenge us to give more and more. And what he starts with is he, he tells us in Scripture, if you're going to follow him, be a part of the church, he challenges us to give a tithe. 10% to the church's mission, and he aims to grow us beyond this. And when we do, he responds with blessing. This, this is a promise from God. We're going to read some stories from folks about how God blesses in response to this in a few minutes. If giving is new to you, I ask you to go to God, and if, if you have a heart to give, you want to start giving, Go to God, ask him where to start. Pick a percentage that represents your whole income and ask him to grow your faith through that. But what you'll find is giving is a very interactive uh, part of walking with God, knowing God. You give, he responds, you find out he is real. This, this is how God is. So there's two ways that God's going to stretch us outside of our comfort zone in serving going to keep being uncomfortable because needs are going to go on and we're going to be going, oh, I just, I, I want to watch Monday night football. I've got, I don't really want to get up that early on a Sunday or I've got, you know, oh, and you're going to get stretched out of your comfort zone and God's going to, and then when you do serve, it's a real blessing. God responds. He, he, he blesses in response. And then he's going to grow us in giving. And when you give, he responds. As we contribute our time, our energy, and our money to accomplish God's purpose, we grow. Because we're made for this. We're made to contribute. So God made us to contribute, not consume. And he also made us to cooperate, not contest. Now this is not a very popular idea to Americans, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But cooperation is a group effort for the group's benefit. If we don't cooperate, it's like monkeys with a football, or worse. They don't care where the goal is. They're just trying to get it from the other monkey. You know, it's going all around. They're tossing it all around. They're just, they're just having a great time. might be a little entertaining, but there's nothing going to be accomplished by the monkeys with football. And if we don't cooperate as we work as a group together or in the families we live in, at the work situations, if, if we aren't pitching in and cooperating to work toward the goal, nothing gets done. It's not, it's not a joy. It's no fun. For any group to accomplish a goal, working together in the same direction is crucial. And what God's done is he's given leaders in every arena to set the direction, and to lead the group to accomplish the purpose of that particular group. This is what teamwork is. It's a team that works. 
I find it's a lot more enjoyable being on a team uh, until the team has to actually work. It's great to talk about, it's great to be a team, love the camaraderie, but when you have to work, it's time to work. For any group to make a difference, the work has to be done, done for sure. In sports, uh, it's executing the game plan, moving toward the goal. For business, it's executing the business plan uh, so that profit is realized. It's real easy to figure out. Either we made money or we didn't. In church life, it's a group working together to do God's purpose, to reach out, to include more and more people, to connect with others, to help people grow. Uh, this, this, it's all work. We pitch in together to do this. For any of these groups, these groups of people, the leader sets the direction, and people play their roles, and when there's unity, a lot of things can be accomplished. So cooperation means I'm willing to yield my way for the benefit of the whole group. That, that's, that's at the heart of what it means to cooperate. I yield my way for the benefit of everyone. When we do this, we're applying humility, which is one of the essential characteristics we've been looking at. Humility is key to experiencing the life God intended. We don't hear a lot about it in the world at large, but it's key to living the life God wants us to live. And when we choose humility we actually get grace from God, which strengthens us to do what he's asking us to do. He works on our behalf when we submit to him first in humility. When you become a Christ follower, God wants to expand your view of cooperation from not just working with a group as a part of the group, but to actually following the leaders over you. This is the way God's designed life. He gives leaders to lead the group in a certain direction. All kinds of reasons. In families, there's leadership. At work, there are bosses. In church life, there are leaders who are responsible to lead. And so, this is a part of following Him. And, and God's going to actually lead us to do this. I, I want to go back to Ephesians uh, before, as we keep walking through this to look at something important that we find there. Like I, the passage I just read in Ephesians 2 about God putting His Spirit uh, in us and in the church body as a, as a group, he, he puts it in us to accomplish His will. And in Ephesians 5, there's a description of what it looks like to be under the Spirit's control. Because when you follow Christ, Holy Spirit comes in, and as you cooperate with Him, He leads you, and there's there are indicators, there's fruit, there's evidence that you're under his control. And when you're not, there's also indicators of that. But in Ephesians 5, there are some clear indicators. And it shows the results of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 5.18, for instance, says, uh, Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. In other words, we're, we're to allow the Spirit to guide our thoughts and actions, everything we do. We're, we're to let him influence us, and nothing else should ever take over. We shouldn't allow anything else to take over and influence us in any way. And uh, what's going to happen then is the Spirit is going to lead us in a certain direction. 
Here's the phrase that describes where the the Spirit is going to lead us. This is a key indicator of being filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Interesting, isn't it? Submitting. This is... If, we, if, if the Holy Spirit is leading us, we're filled with the Spirit, He's controlling our thoughts and actions, we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what follows that in the next couple of chapters of Ephesians is uh, different arenas where followers follow the leaders. Marriage, families with parents and children, Marriage with husbands, wives, families, parents, and children, um, and then work situations where we follow the leaders there. And so this is a major indicator of what it means to be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We submit to one another, and we submit to the leaders over us. The word submission means to be easily persuaded. There may be something in you that sort of grates against you when you hear that. To be easily persuaded. Huh. But what God does is He works through legitimate authority in the family, at work, in the church, and in every arena of life. And He will not go around that authority to give direction to the followers who then tell the leaders what to do. It's not the way God works. What God's going to do is he's going to lead through the leaders, through the legitimate leaders of the group. And what God's Spirit is going to do is to lead you to be easily persuaded and easy to work with as you team up to accomplish God's goals in a specific arena. This is how God works. He doesn't work around these things. This is the way he works. Now, this doesn't mean that you... Check out mentally as you're following the leaders over you. You shouldn't follow blindly. Um, if, if I'm not the leader of the group and I have ideas, I have input, I have plans, I have other concerns regarding the group, it's okay to share them with the leader. It's, it's actually helpful to do so. If you have input and concerns, you can really help your leader by sharing them. But, but this is what it means. It means that the leader is responsible for God for deciding what to do next. And so, to be easily persuaded means you give your input, you share, you, you do that, and then you, you come to the place where you say, it's your call, I'll do what you think's best. Because it really is. They're responsible before God. Being easily persuaded also means you won't just follow your leader begrudgingly, but you will aggressively work to help your leader be successful. Listen to, Ephesians, uh, to Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. There's that word again. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. I want to show you one of my favorite commercials. I think maybe of all time, uh, that really gets to the heart of what this passage is trying to tell us. Look, look, look at this. Is that your new Sprint phone? Uh-huh. 
With Sprint's new fair and flexible plans, no one can tell me what to do. I can talk when and how I want. It's my little way of sticking it to the man. But you are the man. I know. So you're sticking it to yourself. Maybe. I, I love that because it's pointing out something that is incredibly true and real in our lives. When we make it hard on the leaders over us, whoever the man is, that flows out of the 60s. Okay, I grew up in late 60s, early 70s. You know, you stick it to the man, you know, the establishment. You try to, you know, who are they to tell us what to do? I have the freedom to do what I want and forget them. They don't know what's, what's right, what's real. They, you know, they're just trying to use us. So there's this attitude that flows in American culture, and it really, at the heart of it, doesn't make any sense whatsoever to stick it to the man. What, what tends to happen, I, I worked on an assembly line at General Motors, okay? I was in the union, the union management, incredible amount of animosity between the two. You talk about an adversarial relationship. Okay, that was, that was the definition of it. And what happens is, when there's this animosity between leadership and followership, the quality of what's going on is weakened. Working is not a joy. Leading and giving direction is a real pain. Following direction is no fun. And there's just this general grinding that's going on in the hearts and stomachs of the people that hates that. So when we stick it to the man, we're really hurting ourselves. That's what Hebrews 13 is saying. The key idea is that when an authority is burdened by how we follow, it's not a joy for them. And it's no advantage to us because the leader is distracted by focusing on a troubled follower and progress of the group is stalled and the group suffers. It stinks. If we get up sometimes, we have a stinky attitude or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm in a mood. Okay, I'm in a mood. Don't tell me what to do. Because I don't know, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. You know what we say? We were in a mood. And it only hurts ourselves. It may hurt others, and it really does, but it comes back on us as we decide to do this, as we decide to be difficult. Individuals are, are forced in the group. The other thing that happens is individuals are forced to carry weight to pick up the slack, and this also burdens the leader. So God made us to contribute, not consume. He made us to cooperate, not contest, because this is how things work better in life. This is how God grows us, and God grows us to use us, not to window shop, but to use us for his purpose. And when we fulfill his purpose with our lives, it's good. It's really good. We, we've been wrapping up each message of this series by looking at the hard attitudes that relate to what we're talking about. The first four hard attitudes we've looked at, uh, and they focus on how members relate to one another. 
in an interpersonal way. Uh, the last three hard attitudes relate to how members relate to the church as a whole, how we carry our weight and how we contribute and how we cooperate. Uh, those are the two big ideas. So I want to just walk through the hard attitudes. Next week, we're going to look at how they provide the framework for really good relationships and how they work together to really bless the group who lives within the framework of the hard attitudes. But what God's going to do is he's going to grow us to contribute. Hard attitude five, participate in the ministry of Church of the Valley. So this is, this is our commitment. We participate in the ministry of the church. We've been looking at some quotes, and here's a quote from Wade Tang about this hard attitude, how it's been encouraging to him. When I first started attending Church in the Valley, I experienced this hard attitude of participating in the ministry when I saw men working to tear down the equipment set up to make Sunday mornings happen. This team of men numbered in the teens. I was ecstatic. The reason he was ecstatic is because this, this is, we were made to work together to do stuff. So this got to him. They serve so that an environment is created where people can come to Church in the Valley and enjoy the, an experience where they can get to know God and his people, see God work in people's lives, find resources, and want to return, possibly with their friends and family. This is the way, this is the way we're made. We hum when we do this kind of thing. Another quote from Emily Berry. Last year, I was asked to teach two- and three-year-olds in Kid Zone. This wasn't an age I was particularly thrilled to teach, but I was happy to do it because it was a need at CIV. This past year, it's truly been wonderful. God has really given me joy in teaching these sweet little ones, and I love when it's my month to serve. That's hard attitude number five. We participate, and God motivates us with His Spirit to do what He's asking us to do. Hard attitude six, support the work financially. Brad Rosman says this, God has used giving to bring me freedom from the stress of money. That may not make sense to you. It doesn't, but it's true. This is what happens when you give. That seems backwards, but focusing on money is selfish, always worrying about having enough, where to save it, where to spend it, and how to get more. Giving redirects my focus to what's important, God and people, and draws my heart towards them instead of myself. Here's another quote from Matt Sprankle. As we gave more year to year, our costs went up, but God provided more than the previous year and more than we needed. Through giving, we've experienced the truth that all resources are God's and he will always take care of us. As, as you pitch in to do what God is asking you to do, he responds, he brings blessing. Heart attitude number seven. Follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Uh, we need to cooperate. Here's, here's a, a longer quote from Tracy McClary, but I, it's, it's very helpful as it gives us a picture of how God leads us this way. Something I have always struggled with is following authority. Can you relate to that? I like being in control of people and situations, mostly because I tend to think my ideas are the best ideas. So when a situation comes up where I disagree with the way a person in authority is handling it, I feel the battle rage in my heart. I desperately want to give my input when it hasn't been asked for. There are many times in the past when I have done just that and completely overstepped my bounds. And if my input wasn't taken, the battle raged even deeper. I let it be known that 
I wasn't happy either verbally or with my body language. I'm sad to think of how difficult this made things for my leaders. Being introduced to heart attitude number seven has helped me recognize this, especially when I began leading things myself. I realized what a joy it was to lead people who were willing to cooperate cheerfully with what I was trying to accomplish, and I experienced the agony of leading those who weren't. This past summer, I was faced with a situation in which I wanted to do things differently than someone who was in charge. God kept bringing this heart attitude to mind. As I set my heart to follow, God actually gave me an understanding of what that leader was trying to do. And I even found myself getting excited about it. Every time I have chosen to obey God's word in spite of how I feel, he has graciously changed my heart and blessed me through it. It's the way it is. That's not comfortable. Following leadership, not comfortable. Serving, uncomfortable. Giving, uncomfortable. Giving more than you think you can afford, really uncomfortable. <laughs> but what God's going to do is he's going to lead us into zones of comfort and then out of those zones of comfort into zones of discomfort where we can really grow and change. This is what God does. This is how he grows us to use us. And as we team together to contribute and cooperate, we grow in ways that spill over into the other parts of our lives. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning uh, by asking you to think through some next steps as the band comes up. Uh, if you'd take out your connection card that's in your program and give some feedback, that'd be great. Uh, if you'd like to join a life group, that'd be fantastic. If you'd like to uh, team up with us, uh, that would also be great. Uh, but here are some next steps related to the message, particularly, that you could do, which are join a service team, first of all. Second, start giving to Church in the Valley. And then third, be easily persuaded by a leader over you. Maybe you've been struggling with this, and, and you need to just back off and trust God to work through that turkey of a leader, okay? Because a lot of times in our ideas, in our minds, you know, the leaders, they just don't quite get what's going on. They have other concerns they're thinking about, and God can lead you through them and even help you grow as you submit and be easily persuaded by them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your kindness. You're gracious and kind. You're also uh, perfect. And so uh, I want to thank you for just being so patient. And I pray that, God, as we hear what you have said about our lives this morning through these passages, I pray that you'd give us the strength and the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take in responding to you in these things. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.